from the very moment of their inception, their conception, to the moment of their birth, all through their lives to the moment of their death, God is showing them grace and compassion and mercy and kindness and goodness. And yet they turn a cold shoulder on God. They reject God's one and only way to heaven, and that's Jesus. Apparently, a long time ago, a Christian was once talking with an infidel. And it got to a point in the conversation, the infidel said to the Christian, the problem with you Christians is you think you're perfect. And the Christian replied, no sir, we're not perfect. We're just forgiven. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness. And the events of today's story in Luke chapter 7 take place in Israel in a little town called Nain, N-A-I-N. And the city of Nain was a reasonably sized uh, city located in southwest of Galilee, if you know where that is on the map of Israel. The name Nain means charming or green pastures. And so the area, the town and area, was probably an agricultural city of farming. Now there in the city of Nain was a Pharisee. Pharisees were, were religious people, religious Jewish people. There were two main categories of religion in um, Israel in those days, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in this particular city, there was a member of the Pharisees of course, he was one of the religious leaders of the city. And now the Pharisees were a, a working class type of religious person. They were not opposed to having people come into their home. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were the upper crust, the snooty ones, who only hung around with the elite. The Pharisees were more the blue-collar, working class type of uh, Jewish religion. And Jesus came to this town of Nain. And the Pharisee, whose name was Simon, we see that in verse 40, he invites Jesus to dinner. And so Jesus accepts and comes to his home. And we're told in verse 37 that there's a certain woman in the city and she also managed to get into the house. And verses 37 and 38 say that she came weeping with a broken heart. And she brought with her a box called an alabaster box. And in the box was ointment. Alabaster was a very expensive type of mineral similar to marble. It was very expensive, not cheap at all. The ointment inside the box also would have been very costly. Now, this expensive box and its contents were the sort of thing given as a special gift to people. Sometimes when they were getting married, it was like a dowry sort of gift. But for some reason, this woman happened to have this box and she brought it as a gift for Jesus. But her emotions got the better of her that day and she could not stop weeping. She was absolutely broken-hearted. Now, it was the custom in Jesus' day 
to treat guests in your home with much courtesy. Usually, when we have a guest in our home, we, we treat them nice. If we're going to have something to eat, we lay the table out real extra nice, maybe use the, the nice plates and cups. But they did more than that back in Jesus' day. Uh, when guests would come to the home, they were given a complimentary kiss on the cheek. A servant or a member of the family would get down and wash the guest's feet because of the hot, dusty, sandy climate. Uh, people's feet would be refreshed by a bowl of, of cool water. The guest would also be treated to a little bit of um, oil, perhaps olive oil, on the forehead to soothe the skin from the burning heat of the sun. So this and perhaps other things were customary. It was how you treated your guests there in Galilee, but for some reason, Simon the Pharisee never did any of this to his guest, Jesus. But this amazing woman did. If you look, please, in chapter 7 and verse 44, Jesus, it says, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Who was this woman? Well, we're going to try and answer that question today. Before we go any further, let's pause for prayer and let's ask the Lord to teach us today. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we humble ourselves in your sight. We know, O oh Lord Jesus, that you are here in our midst. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you come to church every Sunday. Thank you that where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst, and we have certainly a full house today. We thank you for being here with us. Speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, help us to learn something today. Help us to learn how to love our Savior, how to express our appreciation for forgiveness. And once again, our Father, we pray if there be even one here today who is not yet sure about heaven, maybe they've thought about it, but they just don't know for sure what will happen to them after they die. Father, show them that they can know. They, they can have a home in heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. So who was this woman? I've done a lot of reading and listening of sermons. And some people seem to think that the woman who anointed Jesus here is the same woman that anointed Jesus in Bethany. But when you look at the timeline, you'll find out that that, that was like a year later. The circumstance was totally different. Quite, quite likely a different woman. 
Some others have thought that maybe this was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was really messed up. And she had uh, demons living inside of her. And the Lord Jesus cast these demons out of her. And so some people think that this lady here was Mary Magdalene. But you know, there's no proof for that whatsoever. There's no hard facts or evidence. Actually, Mary Magdalene, we don't even know about her until the next chapter. She's not even introduced until chapter 8. So who was this woman? Folks, today I'm going to make a suggestion. I may be right and I may be wrong. I'm going to tell you that right up front. But I've checked with all kinds of sources and all kinds of commentaries. And I've dug and studied and researched. And I can't find anything that suggests that what I'm about to say is wrong. However, (laughs) just in case I've made a mistake, please don't let it detract from the overall message of what it is we want to learn today. Now, I'd like to take you back to the beginning of chapter 7, when Jesus first came to the city of Nain. When he came, the first thing that greets him is a funeral. Did you know that Jesus broke up every funeral he ever attended? Did you know that? Now, I don't mean that he made a a whip or a stick and drove people away. I mean he raised the dead. That's one way to stop a funeral, isn't it? There have been numerous cases of people who died, or at least they thought they were dead. No breathing, no heartbeat, you know, they did all of the checks. They're dead. And as they were making preparations to embalm the body, they sat up. Or they twitched a finger or something. There have been a lot of cases of that kind of thing happening. The Lord Jesus, he'd come to a funeral and he'd raise the dead. Well, he comes to Nain and there's this funeral going on. Apparently, a young man possibly, quite possibly a teenager, had gotten sick and died and there was a funeral procession. They were carrying the body out on a uh, kind of a handheld wooden structure called a bier, B-I-E-R. They were taking the body out to bury it. And so we'll look at verse 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Apparently she, was, she must have been crying quite a bit, obviously. Verse 11, And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he, that's Jesus, delivered him, that's the young man, to his mother. And there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us. And that God hath visited his people. And they weren't wrong, were they? God really visited his people. 
Jesus is God in the flesh. The Jesus of the New Testament is the Jehovah of the Old Testament, the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only glory of the begotten of the, of the only begotten of the Son of God. And so here, this wonderful miracle took place. And here's where I want to make a suggestion. The widow here at the beginning of the chapter and the unnamed woman in verse 37 who came to the house of Simon were the same person. That's my suggestion. Now let me explain. The woman in verse 12, the widow woman, had been married. She'd given birth to a son. Verse 12 indicates that her husband had died. That's why she's a widow. And widows often had no means of support back then. They didn't have government programs like we have today. There weren't parachurch organizations and social welfare organizations to help look after the widows. So they had very little, if any, means of supporting themselves and caring for their children. And her son would have been young, I think, at the time. Often widows were taken advantage of. Now, in verse 37, the Bible says that the unnamed woman was a sinner. You see, it says, Behold a woman in the city which was a sinner. When it says she was a sinner, it, it doesn't mean that she cheated when she played card games. That's not the kind of sin that's referred to. This kind of sin, a woman who was a sinner, was involved with prostitution. She would have been a harlot. And I'm making a suggestion that the, the woman whose husband died and now she's got a, a little boy to raise may have had no other means of making a living and so had to make the gut-wrenching, awful decision to sell her body to the men of the city in order to make money to support herself and her son. And if that's the case, you know what? She wasn't the first lady to have to do that. And right down through the thousands of years of history, even to today, some women are still having to do that kind of thing. They're not in that because they want to be. They're in that because they feel there's nothing else for them. They can't make money any other way. Now perhaps this woman, if this was the case, perhaps this woman lost a lot of her friends. Maybe a lot of her friends wouldn't talk to her anymore. Possibly though, she may have found some sad comfort amongst other harlots. And the other harlots came up to her and said, We'll be your friend, dearie. Perhaps some of those harlots were at the funeral that day. Who knows? It's a sad position, that's for sure. And you know, I'm not even 100% sure I believe this myself. But for now, let's just suppose that it's true. Let's suppose that it happened. That this was the woman. 
And so over perhaps a few years of doing prostitution, her son grows into his teenage years. All the time, this Jewish woman knows that what she's doing is wrong. She knows it's not right. But she can't find any other means of making money. Her teenage son may have had to bear the shame of what his mother did for a living. But the day finally came when the boy starts feeling ill. And then he starts getting sick. And then he finally died. Perhaps she had prayed a lot, begging God to do something and spare his life. If this is the case, then no doubt this mother would have thought that this is God's judgment on her sin. Have you ever felt that? That you've done something wrong and then something bad happened to you? And you thought, this is God's judgment upon what I've just done. I've known people that have carried the weight of that guilt, that burden, that shame. They've carried it all their lives. I'm being punished for what I've done. That's what some people feel. What was this woman ever going to do now? You see, with a heart so badly broken, she slowly walks out of the city gate next to the lifeless body of her only son, who was probably the closest friend she had on earth. And now he's gone. What's she going to do? And then Jesus shows up. <laughs> Do you see the bright hope? Jesus came into her life at this point. And Jesus raised that young man back to life and delivered him to his mother. What a miracle! And all God's people said, Amen! What a wonderful miracle. Yes, an act of mercy and grace and love from God to a woman who really didn't deserve it. Can you imagine what must have gone through her mind? What must have gone through her heart that very day? <gasps> Maybe she almost swooned or felt she will have a heart attack or something. Her sentence of divine judgment was turned into a pardon of love and mercy. What could she ever do to show her thankfulness to God for this incredible gift? Well, she went home. And she ends up on the doorstep of Simon the Pharisee with an alabaster box. Now, where did she get that from? Well, again, we don't know, do we? Is it possible that after this poor widow's son died and she was left absolutely heartbroken and maybe even contemplated thoughts of suicide, I have nothing more to live for, my, my only reason for living is dead, I may as well kill myself. Is it possible that maybe a friend of hers, a lady friend, may have taken her own alabaster box and given it to this woman here. 
Take this and sell it. You don't have to be a harlot anymore. For the rest of your days, this is going to help you. I wonder if that's how she got the alabaster box. I don't know. But somehow, she got hold of a very expensive alabaster box. And she comes to the home of Simon because she heard that this Jesus was having dinner at Simon's house. How did this woman gain entry into Simon's house? He was a Pharisee. Remember, these guys were kind of self-righteous. And he knew this woman. He knew her. He may not have had any dealings with her, but he sure knew of her. And he knew what she did for a living. She was a sinner. How did she gain entry into Simon's house? We don't know, but possibly she knocked at the door and a servant was there and she said, I have a gift for the Master. And the servant said, come on in. Your guess is as good as mine. While Simon the Pharisee struggled with what this townswoman was doing in his home to Jesus' feet, Jesus now says to Simon in verse 40, look at it with me. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. By the way, that's why we want to be like Jesus. We'll never be as perfect as Jesus. And Jesus was, is God. We'll never be God. Never. But we want to be more like Jesus. We tell people, come as you are. Come to church. Come as you are. But when you leave, leave a little bit more like Jesus. And so verse 41. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? So before we go tearing down someone and calling out their sins and their problems, let's not forget that we too have a few problems too. And verse 42, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You'll forgive me. I got carried away with another sermon there. Let me get to chapter 7 here. You're probably wondering, hmm, Maybe he's been into the alabaster box. I apologize. We're into chapter 7. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There we go. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. <laughs> Still can't believe I read that out of the other chapter for you. Two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Now what Jesus did was he turned to Simon and Jesus compared what this woman did with what Simon did not do. And there's quite a comparison. Here's the 
the owner of the house, the master of the house. And what he did not do, and what he should have done, but he did not do. And here's a woman, doesn't live in his house. She's known for her public sins. She's a sinner. And she came in and she did what he should have done. And Jesus compares them here. She obviously loved Jesus, God's Son. She obviously loved Him much, much more than Simon did. And if you look at verse 47, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are... What's that next word? Say it. Forgiven. Forgiven. You know, some people think they have to atone for their own sins. Did you know that? Um... Find Pastor Devian. Folks, that, that sound, I'm sorry, I apologize for that sound, but someone may have tried to open up our little tool shed back here. And we praise the Lord for alarm systems. <laughs> That's what helps keep us safe. But you know what? One day there's an alarm going to go off. It's going to be the sound of a trumpet. And just as unexpectedly as that one went off, the sound of the trumpet means that Jesus is coming to take us home to heaven. And just like that happened, just, just we weren't expecting it, the sound of the trumpet. That's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is coming back one day. So all is safe, all is fine out here, not to worry. But we have to get back here to our message. We have to finish this up. We have to bring this into a conclusion. And we find here, that this woman who loved Jesus so much more than Simon did, she got forgiven. People today, many people today, think that they have to atone for their own sins. They have to pay money. They have to get baptized. They have to do good works. Some take, actually literally take whips and whip themselves or beat themselves to try and, and atone for their sin. They try to crawl up stairs, sometimes go across rocks or glass, praying. Some use beads and pray beads. And they're working, working in an effort to try and atone for their sins. And that's not how God forgives sins. God forgives sins on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. Sin requires a payment. And the payment was the Son of God who died for our sins on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. That is the central focal point of all earth's history, is the death of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. And His death 2,000 years ago is still as, as good, as efficacious today as it ever has been. Anyone, man, woman, or young person, can come to Jesus Christ and pray, Lord Jesus, I know You are God. I am a sinner. If I die, I cannot go to heaven. I am a sinner. Jesus, I need You to forgive my sins. And when a sinner asks forgiveness of a Savior, then the Savior Jesus will grant that forgiveness. Some don't believe it's that simple. But that's why it's the gift of God. If ever you've received a gift, the only thing you ever had to do to receive that gift was reach out and take it. You didn't have to go into your billfold or pocket or purse and pull out money and pay for it. 
You pay for it. It's no longer a gift. You can receive a gift or you can reject a gift. Have you ever rejected a gift? Has someone ever brought you a gift that you've rejected? Have you, have you ever received a gift? Well, it's the same principle with receiving eternal life in Jesus Christ. You receive Jesus Christ. Whosoever hath the Son, that's the Son of God, hath life, eternal life. Whoso hath not the Son of God, because they've rejected it, they've never bothered to receive Him, whoso hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's as simple as that. And so here, this woman was forgiven. She received God's forgiveness. Now, I'll tell you again, these two women, in the beginning of the chapter, the end of the chapter, these two women might not have been the same women. Might not have been the same person. But I have no other way of accounting for this unnamed woman who appears out of nowhere with a tremendous love for Jesus and brokenness and tears of appreciation. Who was this woman? I I don't know unless it's this widow woman. Wouldn't it be just like God to do something like this? To bless people and glorify Himself. Wouldn't that be just like how the Lord works? In the Roman, book of Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God has been good to you and to me. God has been so good. He's blessed you and He's blessed me with health and family, a certain amount of wealth. We haven't starved to death, have we? We have clothes on our back, roof over our head, and good food on our table. We live in a country of many, many blessings. God has been so good. And if anyone were to die and stand before God in judgment, they have nothing to complain of. God has done so much for them from the very moment of their inception, their conception, to the moment of their birth, all through their lives to the moment of their death, God has shown them grace and compassion and mercy and kindness and goodness. And yet they turn a cold shoulder on God. They reject God's one and only way to heaven. And that's Jesus. No one will ever be able to point a finger at God and say, you were not good to me. You were good to others, but you weren't good to me. No one. God is the author of life. No one comes into life and no one goes out of life without God's knowledge and without God's approval. God is good. His goodness is beyond our ability to comprehend it. If what I've said about this woman in Luke chapter 7 is true, then she definitely was the recipient of God's goodness. Absolutely. Even those years that she spent in that nasty harlot business. And that goodness and raising her son from the dead, that goodness is what led her to repentance so that she could receive forgiveness. 
John Newton was a tremendous man of God in England. He lived from 1725 to 1807. He died about 82 years of age. John had a godly mother, a wonderful woman, a godly mother who died when John was just seven years of age. John's father was a sea captain and he remarried a woman who was overly hard on John. At age 11, John went to sea with his father. At age 17, he signed on with a merchant ship sailing to the Mediterranean Sea. But in 1743, while going to visit friends, John was captured and forced into the Royal Navy. That's how it was done back then. At one point, John tried to escape, but he was punished. And he was given a flogging of eight dozen lashes. It's a miracle he lived. Following that, John thought about murdering the captain and committing suicide by throwing himself into the sea, but he didn't do that. Shortly after this, John was able to transfer to a slave ship bound for West Africa. The ship carried goods to Africa and traded them for slaves to be shipped to the colonies in the Caribbean and North America and England. John's life was a very hard one. He often got drunk. Whenever he could, John would get drunk. One day, John got drunk. He got so drunk during a storm at sea, he got so drunk that he fell overboard and one of his fellow sailors rescued him by throwing a harpoon into his leg and hauling him back up into the ship. Afterwards, John said the harpoon left a hole so deep in his thigh that he could put his fist into it. John did not get along with the crew of the slave ship, and so they left him in West Africa with a man named Amos Clow, C-L-O-W-E, or perhaps Clo. Amos was a slave dealer. Amos took Newton to the coast and literally gave John Newton as a gift to his wife. Amos gave John to his wife as a gift and she abused and mistreated John terribly. She abused him as much as she abused any of the slaves. But one day, early in 1748, and John was 23 years of age by this time, John was rescued by a sea captain who'd been asked by John's father to search for his son and bring him back to England. And it was during this sea voyage of 1748, going back to England, that John began to read the Bible. And by the time he reached Britain, he broke down in tears of sorrow over his life of shame and mistakes. And he cried out to Jesus Christ for mercy and forgiveness. And John Newton was saved. John ended up serving the Lord Jesus as a pastor of a church for the rest of his life. And in 1772, when John was 47 years old, he got thinking about his life and he wrote a poem. The title of the poem was Faith's Review and Expectation. Not a very snazzy title. But the poem went like this. Amazing grace, 
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And this poem became one of the world's most popular hymns, known as what? Amazing Grace. Now that woman in Luke chapter 7, who wept and was brokenhearted and opened that alabaster box, that priceless gift, and poured that ointment on Jesus' feet and filled the whole house of Simon with the aroma, that woman experienced amazing grace. Was she the widow whose son Jesus had raised to life? We'll only find out when we get to heaven. But this amazing woman brought her alabaster box and her broken heart and her tears and brought them to Jesus' feet and He forgave her. Jesus is in the forgiving business and He healed her broken heart and He restored her life. Look at verse 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? You see, there were people back then that didn't believe Jesus could forgive sins either. And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Now we don't know this woman's name, but wouldn't it be amazing if her name was Grace? Huh? Did you know that you too can be forgiven? If you're here today, you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, did you know that Jesus can forgive you your sins? This world is full of different religions, isn't that right? How many different religions? Your guess is as good as mine. There are several major world religions. What do they do with sin? What do they do with sin and the guilt and the shame and the fear and the anger that sin produces in our lives. What do these world religions do when we've destroyed our homes, destroyed our children, destroyed our lives, destroyed our jobs, destroyed our health? What do these world religions have to offer? How do they deal with sin? Now that's a good question. I am suggesting to you, only Jesus forgives sin. And it's forgiven upon the basis of His death, His shed blood. It's as if Jesus says to the Father, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. I died for them, I shed my blood, I gave my life, I paid what they owe. Imagine God paying what we owe in hell. That's, that's exactly 
what happened. You too can be forgiven. You too can receive Jesus as your Savior and be forgiven. But I'll warn you something. Jesus will not come into your heart to be one of several gods or lords or deities. He'll only come in as the one and the only. When I married my wife, I didn't marry her and six other women. She wouldn't have married me. She only married me because it was going to be her and me for the rest of our lives. We're a team, her and I. So she said, I'll marry you. Jesus will only come in your heart if you put away all other false idols, all other hopes of self-righteousness, and you look upon Him and Him only as your forgiveness and your means to get to heaven. Then He'll come in your heart. And when He comes in your heart, you will have another birthday. And it will be a happy, happy birthday when Jesus comes into your life. Perhaps you're here today and you're a child of God, but you've been messing around, doing things you shouldn't do, or you've been breaking promises that you've made to God. Well, you can have forgiveness too. Did you know that? You can come to Jesus and He will forgive you. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'd like to pray. Would you stand with me, please? Let's stand together and we'll pray. Let's bow our heads, please. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and have a word of prayer together. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.